Welcome to the Bovi UK podcast, where we will be discussing diseases from diagnosis through to management. These podcasts are aimed for registered vets and veterinary nurses. If you're listening as a pet owner, then we always advise that if you have any concerns about your animal, then please consult with your local veterinary surgeon. So today we're going to be looking at demystifying the cascade and look at how it allows the prescribing veterinary surgeon to prescribe medicines for the best patient outcomes. So we're lucky to have Mark Bowen with us today. And just to give Mark an intro, so Mark is an RCVS specialist in equine internal medicine and has a number of specialist qualifications. He spent 25 years working in academia in the UK and was a founding member of Nottingham Vet School. He recently left to work in specialist postgraduate education in Europe as director of education for EBVS and also for Vetsy, alongside his own specialist consultancy business in the Midlands. Mark has long-term experience and understanding of the veterinary medicines regulations he was author of Beaver's Protect Me Toolkit for Antibiotic Use and a member of Beaver and Fever's Medicines Committee and is a member of the VMD's Veterinary Product Committee and has authored a number of articles on the subject of the Cascade. So welcome, Mark, and thank you for coming today. Hi, Emma. So we're just going to go through the Cascade and get your opinion on how to use the Cascade compliantly within veterinary practice and getting some kind of tips from you and how you would apply it. So really just to start off with, could you just run us through the steps on the Cascade as they stand presently? Yes, so the Cascade did change with Brexit, so it is worth having a quick refresher. So just to remind you that we apply the prescribing Cascade if there is not a suitable authorised medicine for the treatment of a given condition in your target species. So it has to be authorised for that condition and you should be using it following the marketing authorization. So the first step of the prescribing cascade would be to consider another veterinary medicine, and that can be authorized in another species, in the same species for a different condition, it could be authorized in a food animal or in a, a horse, as much as it could in a small animal species. The next step is to then consider either human medicines from within the UK, or to consider veterinary medicines imported from another country. And that's the change since Brexit. We used to be restricted to importing medicines from the EU. Now, there's lots of challenges with using human medicines, as we'll touch on as we go along, but there are probably more challenges with identifying suitable veterinary medicines from outside the the UK. Just to remind you, that doesn't allow you to import human medicines from outside the UK. And as a slight complication, the, the rules in Northern Ireland are slightly different as well. The third step of the cascade is to consider special veterinary medicines. So these are products that are pro- produced on an extemporaneous basis, either by yourself within the practice using raw ingredients or from an authorised specials manufacturer. Now, the RCVS expect us, wherever possible, to use a specials manufacturer for the simple reason that that gives quality assurance to what you're obtaining in that those manufacturers have to guarantee that the raw ingredients are what they say they are. And that is perhaps where specials in the past have had a, a bad name, certainly from other countries, where that quality assurance step doesn't exist. 
Now, whenever you're importing medicines from outside the UK, you need a, a special import certificate. And you get that from the, the VMD's website. But there is one step outside the cascade that can be applied in exceptional circumstances, and that's to import human medicines from another country. And that is done on a per animal basis. So you identify the condition, you identify the medicine, you apply for your import certificate for that animal and your given product for that animal. And that is only to be used in exceptional circumstances. Okay, thank you. So trying to give kind of practical examples for vets to use when they're looking at applying the cascade. If we can look at, like, we'll go through some of the different steps or the different steps that are along the cascade. How do you use the cascade if we look at the different steps? So as a, a horse vet, I'm going to use a, an example that touches on a, a an example where there would be a possible equine drug that you could consider under the cascade. And it highlights the important step of suitability. So I want you to imagine your, your vomiting dog that you want to treat with a proton pump inhibitor. Now, there are no authorized proton pump inhibitors for use in the dog. So we're instantly considering drugs under the cascade. When you then consider other authorized veterinary medicines, you would then be left with considering equine omeprazole paste. Now, that would clearly be ridiculous to use a paste formulation and get accurate dosing for a small animal where the syringe is designed for animals of up to 700 kilograms. And it would be unsafe. Your dosing would never be accurate when doing so. So, in my mind, that is then not a suitable medicine to consider in that step. And the cascade is all about suitability and it's all about your opinion of suitability. So in my mind, equinomeprazole is not suitable for use in most dogs. And certainly if we're thinking of small breed dogs, you're never going to be able to dose to a 5 to 10 kilo dog accurately. So we'd then consider human medications, or we might consider importing proton pump inhibitors from outside the um, UK. But again, there, to my knowledge, there are no veterinary proton pump inhibitors authorised in another country. That is one of the challenges. Knowing what's available around the world is incredibly difficult, and we'll touch on that in a little, little moment. So we're then left with using... A human product. Now, many of you will know that the human formulations of omeprazole come in capsules. They're an enteric coated capsules designed for dosing the average adult. And therefore, splitting those capsules down is inappropriate because you remove the enteric coating and render the active ingredient inactive in the acid environment of the stomach. And it's therefore not absorbed. So splitting those tablets becomes inappropriate, which is why many of us would then reach for the intravenous forms of omeprazole. And they work effectively in, in a hospital setting. When it comes to um, discharging those patients, if you still want to use a proton pump inhibitor to reduce gastric acid, then actually your options are very limited. And therefore, we would consider or I would consider a special 
formulation of omeprazole to be appropriate. And they would be appropriate because I can get a, a better dosing accuracy by using a special formulation. Do you have any other examples of where there may be a licensed product, but potentially it maybe isn't suitable if you're looking at considering the best options for your patient? Yeah, I think another example is we we know so much more about paracetamol these days and how effective it is as a an adjunct analgesic for use in dogs and a, a range of other species. Obviously, the authorised form of paracetamol comes with codeine, and codeine op- often isn't a drug we particularly value as for its analgesic properties. It will have impacts on gastrointestinal motility, which we may not want as well. And therefore, there are many situations where we won't use the authorised formulation of paracetamol and codeine. So considering the the cascades, there is actually a porcine formulation of paracetamol alone. It comes in a a five litre drum and therefore, and is designed to be dissolved in water. Again, doesn't come into that suitable product in my mind. But again, suitability is determined by us as individual veterinary surgeons. And so often what we will do is consider human formulations of paracetamol. I do have some concerns of directing people um, to either purchase or discharge animals with paediatric solutions of human paracetamol. Uh, There's a couple of concerns. One, obviously many of these contain xylitol, which aren't suitable for use in dogs. And secondly, I worry it drive self-treatment and self-prescribing and that if they see us using these products they will then go to the supermarket to treat their animals without receiving suitable veterinary care. Again this is a situation where therefore using specials may be more appropriate in terms of compliance. We can get um, products which are smaller, that are flavoured and will therefore only be used in those target species. Okay, we've touched a little bit on the human side as well, but what about compliance is a big aspect when looking at companion animal, especially when you're looking at cats, because they're notoriously difficult to to medicate, even in the practice, let alone for a a cat owner to try and administer some of these medications at home. And maybe they haven't administered medications before. They might have administered the odd worm now and again, which is a bit hit and miss, but then being told they've got to give maybe some antibiotics every day, twice a day for the next week or some long-term medications. How does that kind of fit in with the cascade when looking at those? So in terms of the cascade, the product has to be suitable for that animal. And if your client is not going to be able to get the product into the animal, it is clearly not a suitable product. With cats, You've got the added complication that if you're using human medicines, they're often going to be at a totally inappropriate strength of tablet or or formulation that you're able to obtain and that clients are going to be left with cutting tablets into tiny fragments where you're not going to get accurate dosing in any means. And probably by the time you've split these tablets into eight, there's no guarantee that those 
uh, eight fragments all contain the right amount of active ingredient anyway. So tableting cats is a, a big problem. And it is one of those areas where we could look to where specials can help us. And if we look at the data from the US, people like specials because they come in flavors that animals like. It might be chicken or tuna flavored. They also come in novel formulations such as percutaneous solutions that are absorbed across the skin, so transdermal absorption. So all of these things can then really help us in terms of getting the drug into the animal and therefore, most importantly, making the animal better. Because those tablets that you're prescribing to be given that are ending up spat across the floor and then your client being scratched and bitten and never being dosed again are not in the best interests of your patients. I think every clinic's probably had that cat owner that has phoned back in six weeks later asking for some more of the tablets because they've still got some left over from the last course that they were prescribed that didn't quite finish the course. So I think they they get so far and I think sometimes they just give up. Um, yeah, and that's a that's a real problem with antibiotics, isn't it? If they're yeah. they're not completing antibiotic courses, that becomes a a real challenge in terms of of antimicrobial resistance. Yeah, which fits nicely into my next question, actually. So, where do antibiotics sit when you're considering the cascade and considering prescribing? So, the VMD have made it very clear that they prioritise responsible use of antimicrobials almost over the the cascade. So if you are making medicine choices that improve antibiotic usage, and certainly if that discourages the use of critically important antibiotics, then that has to be a good thing. And by critically important antibiotics, we would include the long-acting cephalosporins that we love to use in cats because it means our clients don't have to dose them. And then considering tableting options and, and just general compliance with that as well. Yeah, so so following on from that cat example, I suppose one of the, the drugs that we quite like using or would like to use more in cats would be doxycycline. The tetracyclines have a, a good spectrum of activity against a, a wide range of diseases, including obviously mycoplasmas. So it can be very effective in cats. but We've grown very reticent to using doxycycline because of the potentially life-threatening complications that we see associated with esophagitis and esophageal strictures. So it's important to remember that doxycycline itself doesn't include induce esophageal ulceration and that it is the doxycycline hyclate, the acid salt, that causes these complications and that there are other neutral pH salts of doxycycline, such as doxycycline monohydrate, that may be more uh, suitable for use in cats. So uh, we can go further than that, though, in in terms of improving palatability of some of these medicines, especially with doxycycline monohydrate. It doesn't have the, the horrid acidity to it. It doesn't need an enteric coating and can be um, obtained in palatable formulations that animals will um, enjoy taking and removes that horrible burden of 
having to try and tablet your cat. Wouldn't it be great if all our medicines were things that our cats actively enjoyed eating rather than try to scratch us every time we gave them? And then I suppose the ultimate question to try and make it a little bit easier and a little bit clearer for practices when they're doing their prescribing and looking at the cascade and looking at the different patients is how do you go about justifying when you're going straight to a special on the cascade when there is already maybe a licensed product available? Okay, so I think this is something that people consider that we do much more frequently than we actually do. And the cascade is a decision making tool. It helps us follow through those steps and it's there to help with the management of cases. So it's not a case of we're jumping directly to an unauthorized medicine. We should always consider the workflow. We should always consider, is there that authorized medicine? Is it suitable? Is there another veterinary medicine? Is it suitable? Can I import or use a human medicine? Is it suitable? So it all comes down to suitability. And in small animal practice, suitability is often driven by the by compliance, owner compliance, getting that product into the animal. And if we're using human medicines, the, the second step of the cascade will often be driven by size of tablet and getting an appropriate dose, especially for small breed dogs and cats, becomes a real challenge unless you are considering using specials. So it's not that you're not following the steps of the cascade, but you should always think about those steps. Now, that means you shouldn't have a practice protocol that always says when using doxycycline, you will always use a certain product. What you should have is a workflow to help you consider what's going to be appropriate. So is this cat a cat where it's suitable for the the clients to dose that animal with the authorized tablets and then syringe water into ensure that they don't get esophagitis and perhaps giving them some feed immediately afterwards. And if it's not, then these are the steps to consider. So it's not about having practice protocols. You mustn't protocolize the the cascade, but it's about making it available to everyone in the team. You are not going to get in trouble for applying the cascade when you are doing that in the best interests of the animal. In fact, there's only ever been... Um, one high-profile case of vets being taken to court by the veterinary medicines directorate for the for breaches of the cascade, and that was a bunch of equine vets who were importing antibiotics without a special import license. So the cascade is there to help you, to guide you. It is not there as a tool to punish you and um, make you use certain drugs. Thank you. And then looking at needing to obtain consent. So the difference is really between, I suppose, off-label consent forms, unauthorized consent forms, and and quite often we get asked about data sheets. So where can they obtain these information from? Yeah, so in in terms of consent, the, the RCVS and the VMD expect us to obtain informed consent. Now, the RCVS expect that to be a signature on a piece of paper. I think informed consent is much more important when we're talking about the cascade. Now, I will admit that I rarely obtain informed consent when I'm using 
a product that's authorized for that species for a different condition. And it's just something that I often uh, miss out. But I will always try and get that consent when I'm using uh, medicines that are authorized in another species or where I'm importing them, and certainly if I'm using human medicines. Now, obviously, our practice management systems will print those consent forms out for us. And the VDS have an example template that you can use if you haven't got one of those. So really, you can have one form for off-label compared to cascade use. So the off-label, I'm using this product for a different condition. As I say, you can combine that all into one form. But to me, informed consent isn't informed unless we actually give the clients some information about the product that we're using. And the VMD expect us to provide the equivalent of a package insert when we're using products not authorized for use, probably in that species. And it's not something, again, I would do if I'm if I'm using a product that's authorized in dogs, but I'm using it for another condition. They've still got a package insert. It's still going to tell them about potential adverse effects, what to do if they miss a dose, how to handle the product. But if I'm using a product that's authorized in another species, then we really should be giving them that sort of guidance. What could go wrong? How should you handle the drug? How should you store the medicine? And that's where BSAVA have come in and they have produced their client information leaflets. They cover a whole range of of products And they go through the equivalent of what's on a package insert of an authorized product. So you can use those whether you're using a human medicine or if you're using a veterinary special to guide clients. We use them on the equine side as well. And we even um, have included QR codes. So we pre-label our products with QR codes so that owners can scan that QR code They don't have yet another piece of paper and they can access that information online. Can I ask if you have any take home messages from today and how about applying the cascade on a day to day basis in practical terms for companion animal vets? The most important thing has to be remember we are doing what we do for the interests of the animal. And as long as your decision-making processes are about the animal in front of you, please don't worry that you might not be following the cascade because you will be. As long as you've followed that simple decision-making process, you are following the cascade and somebody else in the practice or another practice might disagree with your decision-making. That's their decision. But what you do with the animal in front of you is your decision so please don't worry that somebody else says you're not following the cascade what they mean is i would make a different decision in that setting and i would use different justifications for the use of those medicines those decisions are always yours and they are personal decisions thank you consideration is key so thank you very much mark um Thank you for today. It's been a real great discussion around demystifying the cascade and how it can be used compliantly in day-to-day practice. Thank you, Emma. These podcasts are aimed for registered vets and veterinary nurses. If you're listening as a pet owner, 
Then we always advise that if you have any concerns about your animal, then please consult with your local veterinary surgeon. <laughs> <laughs>